Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Well, hello there. It's wonderful to see you back at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have something quite interesting you might want to take a look at. It's over here in this curio. Uh, take a look at it. I ask you not to touch. This is quite old and quite fragile. It's a piece of pottery, Persian in nature, from the early to mid-5th century, and you'll note an interesting depiction. It depicts King Xerxes I with one of his servants shielding him from the sun with a parasol. Of course, parasols have gone back in antiquity. All forms have been seen, uh, depicted, whether it's on pottery like this, or in carved in stone, or in paintings in cultures from every continent. Parasols have been used to protect those that wield them from the sun. Now, today we refer to them as umbrellas, used mainly to shield us from the rain, but therein lies the key. They are a shield, and there is a particular group of powered individuals that have been described as the shield of the world from all that is evil. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season three of Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. Now, The Umbrella Academy on Netflix has been a show that I've quite enjoyed over the past two seasons. The first season, uh, relatively based off the first comic series, uh, Apocalypse Suite. The second season, based off the second comic book series, of course, entitled Dallas. This comic book series created in part by My Chemical Romance frontman Gerard Way. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about that is, while they have changed the characters uh, quite a bit, the characters from the comics compared to the characters in the series, while they have the same names and essentially similar powers, uh, they are quite different in the comic books compared to the series. Now, that being said, I know that the, the first season, uh, Apocalypse Suite, stayed pretty true to the essence of the, the original comic series. The Dallas series uh, veered off a little bit, but stayed true to some of the key elements of the Dallas comic series. And there was quite a big gap, as far as the comics go, from the Dallas comic series to what is essentially the third comic series and the third season of Umbrella Academy. Of course, the Dallas series came out in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And then you didn't see anything from this story until Hotel Oblivion uh, came out in 2018. And then, of course, it was announced in 2020 that there was going to be a fourth volume, a fourth series of Umbrella Academy comics in, entitled Sparrow Academy. And that really is what we get in season three. It's kind of a... I mean, the first two seasons were generally based on the first two series of comics. This third season, while it holds the same name, Hotel Oblivion, uh, the, the series compared to the comic is pretty much in name only because they combined some of the elements of Hotel Oblivion very minimal 
elements of Hotel Oblivion and Sparrow Academy into season three. And being that the Sparrow Academy comic series hasn't come out yet, we don't even know how close uh, what they did with the Sparrows is to what is in the comic. So really, they kind of just did what they wanted in season three. Used minimal elements and Bob's your uncle. Now, a loose getting up to speed, of course, uh, the events of Dallas, the Umbrella Academy stops uh, another apocalypse. They try to get back to their own timeline. They get back to the Umbrella Academy and find out that it is occupied by a different group of powered people called the Sparrow Academy. And what essentially happens is that the the Umbrellas run into Reginald Hargreaves in 1963. Uh, he sees what a bunch of goofs and <laughs> miscreants that they are. So he decides that he is going to find a different set of powered babies to make a, a super team. And once they get back to the present day, this has already taken place and thus the Sparrow Academy. Now, because they've come back to this present day timeline, kind of they went back to the future, they created a paradox, what's called a grandfather paradox, which ultimately creates a Kugelblitz. And this is the latest apocalypse that they are going to have to either put a stop to or escape from. Now, I had a feeling we were in a little bit of trouble when the whole series started off with pretty much a remake of the big end of Footloose dance scene. The whole thing kicks off and I'm just staring at the screen thinking, oh, sweet Jesus. And that's really kind of how I felt through like the first two-thirds of this season it just really felt like a lot of the same stuff over and over again it really felt like just a mishmash of different ideas beings that they weren't basing this story off of anything from the hotel oblivion comic series there is no sparrow academy series to to base it off of unless they got some inside intel from gerard way as to what's going to be in this series it's who knows when it's going to come out it wasn't until the last third of the season that things started to finally come together for me and i actually came out enjoying this season although not without some reservations and being said it is umbrella academy it is packed full of a lot of stuff and a lot of plot points and a lot of twists. Uh, some of them you really saw coming. Some of them you didn't really see coming. Some of them you didn't really care whether they came or went. So instead of giving you the whole rundown of scene by scene, plot point by plot point, we are going to talk about the characters and where they are in this season, uh, what they had going on. Uh, some of the characters didn't have a lot going on at all, and it was a real uh, detriment to to really what was a fun show. It just uh, a lot of characters didn't have a lot to do, in spite of having a lot of really good actors. Now, first and foremost, right off the bat, we're going to get the 500-pound gorilla in the room out of the way. No, I'm not talking about Luther. Uh, of course, uh, Elliot Page, they playing the Vanya slash Victor character. Uh, they start out the first episode, we see uh, Elliot Page playing the Vanya character. And then partway through, I believe, the second episode, that's when we see uh, Vanya transition into Victor. Now, I've heard some reviewers talking about this and how well it was done. Uh, I don't know as if it was done well 
I know it was done very quick. It was very abrupt. It was just kind of sprung on you. I mean, you knew it was happening because they've been talking about this, uh, you know, in in Elliot Page's personal life and in regards to the show, what they were going to do with the character. I mean, it was no surprise. But as far as the show goes, it was like, okay, he's Victor now. And nobody asked any questions. It was probably one of the most unnatural transitions. Uh, this is not how it would work in real life. You know, people would have questions. They would have curiosity. It was that, you know, things like that. But it was just, and, and I, I suppose in some way they're portraying the idealistic way that somebody transitioning would go and nobody would have any questions and everybody would just all of a sudden just change their pronouns and change their their point of view that to me is not realistic but whatever it's how they chose to get on with the show and that's really kind of what it felt like it's like we're gonna change this character from Vanya to Victor get it out of the way and so we can move on with this character as Victor which if that's how they chose to uh, address this that's fine I mean it, it didn't bother me one way or the other it just felt like I said a little rushed a little abrupt but with this uh, character's name change, they also really kind of changed the personality of this character. Uh, it really felt like they flip-flopped the Vanya and the Allison characters' personalities. So now Victor kind of has the, the personality that Allison had, and Allison kind of picked up... Maybe, maybe not so much the, the old Vanya white violin character, but she very much was like Vanya, didn't deal with trauma and didn't deal with how people treated her in a positive way and eventually caused the apocalypse in season one. Uh, you kind of felt that sort of thing going on with the Allison Hargreaves character in that she was not dealing well with how things happened that weren't to her liking and how they affected her and with no regard to how things were affecting anyone else. While she didn't bring about an apocalypse, she brought about some things that happened towards the end of this season that were, were detrimental to a lot of her siblings, mainly enabling Reginald to kill Luther and Klaus in the final episode. But back to the Victor Hargreaves character, uh, I thought Elliot Page's Victor Hargreaves had a lot more to do from an acting standpoint in this season than they did in season one, even though season one was really Vanya-centric. They just didn't have a lot to do acting-wise in season one. Uh, season two, uh, the character as Vanya uh, had had quite a bit, but like none of that was in the comics. That was all kind of created for the TV show because uh, I don't believe Vanya went back to 1963 uh, to Dallas with the rest of the group. But some of what happened in season two kind of comes back with the Harling character because she gives Harlan this little kid who's the son of the woman that she's in a relationship with. Uh, she gives some of her powers to him. And then we finally meet him in present day as an older man who has these powers, uh, can't really control them. And there's a lot of really good interaction between Elliot Page and uh, Callum Keith Rennie, who plays the older version of Harlan. Now, I'm going to throw this out here 
just because I, I want to be transparent about this. I've never been a huge fan of Elliot Page or or when he was Ellen Page. Uh, I've just never been a big fan of their acting. Not to say that it's bad acting. It's just not. I, I just want some more out of it. But I have to admit that uh, Elliot Page and the scenes that he had with the the actor who played Harlan, uh, some of those scenes were just so heartfelt and just so moving. And the the care of what he did to this Harlan character back in, in 1963 and the remorse and the want to, to care for this, uh, you know, just days prior, Victor knew this Harlan as a little boy and still looked at Harlan uh, with the love and affection uh, that one would give to a child. And in some ways, the Harlan character, even as an old adult, uh, kind of had some of that childlike innocence about him. And, and just some of the scenes between those two characters were just really good scenes that that made my uh, opinion of the season change a little bit because I like I said the first two-thirds of the season I just didn't really care but then some of these scenes and some of the things that were happening made me start to really kind of care about what was going on so that was something I, I really enjoyed about this now we kind of talked about the Allison Hargreaves character uh, we'll talk about her next because uh, talk about somebody that had a lot more going on in this season Emmy Raver Lampman uh, as Allison Hargreaves really had a lot to do in this and not her typical character that she has to play you know like I said they really kind of flipped the script on the Allison Hargreaves character she comes back to this timeline that has been altered and not only does she not have her husband Ray from 1963 in her life anymore but her daughter from the present time things never happened the way they happened before so her daughter doesn't exist in this timeline which kind of turns her a little batshit crazy i mean she is trying to find a way to fix the timeline to go back in time they're stuck in this present day timeline because of all the things that happened or didn't happen because they've changed the timeline and we really get to see a self-centered version of Allison Hargreaves that we haven't really seen completely in the, the first two seasons. And she borders on being a villain in, in this season. Now, one of the characters that they really tried, I think they tried to give this character stuff to do, but this character really kind of got lost in the season is Tom Hopper as Luther Hargreaves. He really didn't have too much to do, even though he was a part of the story. Uh, it just didn't feel like he had much of an arc. Uh, he falls in love with Sloan, one of the uh, girls in the Sparrow Academy, ridiculously quick. And just as quick, once they find out the end of the world is coming, he proposes to her and they get married. All seeming like within a matter of days. And I really, it, you know, it, it's kind of sad because I really like this character. I like the uh, I like the actor who plays him. I remember first seeing him, I was like, hey, that's Dick and Tarly from Game of Thrones. But I think there's a lot they could do with this character that just, they, I don't think they ever really uh, fully reached the potential for this character and what it could be you know in, in some regards sometimes he just comes across as 
dopey and stupid. And other times he comes across as a, a strong leader. Sometimes he comes across as happy-go-lucky. Sometimes he comes across as this this tortured soul that, you know, has had this thing happen to him that perpetrated on him by his father, you know, splicing him with, with ape DNA or in the comics, uh, putting his head on an ape's body. But we do get an interesting scene where it kind of flashes back to when he was stationed on the moon. And we kind of finally get to see what he was up there doing. We don't have never been really told why Luther was was put on the moon by Reginald Hargreaves, but it was to guard the body of Reginald Hargreaves' deceased wife, who is in this kind of cryo chamber in this stasis pod type of sleep. And of course, if you remember back from season one, it showed her dying and him releasing these these little balls of light out into the world that we eventually see in the, I believe it's the opening scene of season three, that these little balls of light entered into the women that impregnated them and created these babies, these uh, was 43 babies born in October of 1989 that have these powers. Another character that I just didn't think had a lot to do, like they were trying to come up with something for him to do, was David Castaneda's uh, character, Diego Hargreaves. You have the Lila character played by uh, Ritu Arya, uh, who does a great job, even though the character is not in the comics at all. This is a character that was created specifically for the show. Uh, She comes back and tells Diego that she has brought his son, that even though last he saw her, it was just days ago, she's been gone for, you know, 12 years or something like that with the whole time travel thing and dumps this son off at his doorstep. And then we see all the stereotypical hijinks of uh, a dad who has a son he didn't realize he had trying to get to know him. Many 80s and 90s movies and TV shows were based on this premise. Uh, The only thing is we find out that uh, it wasn't his son all along. It was just some kid of a friend of hers that she picked up in Germany somewhere. But again, the Diego Hargreaves character just didn't really seem like they had anything for him to do because this season was based solely on Victor Hargreaves and Allison Hargreaves, and as always, the the incomparable five Hargreaves, who we'll talk about now, played by Aiden Gallagher. Uh, this is probably one of the standout characters and actors for me in this show. He is just, uh, Aiden Gallagher just does such a great job of playing, you know, as a, a young man playing this character who is a lot older than he seems, and he just plays the sarcasm and the smarminess and the snarkiness uh, just fantastically he comes across as that crotchety old man in this little kid body which uh, it just makes for some some fun one-liners and he really does have a lot of weight on his shoulders when it comes to carrying story because in all three seasons he has been a centerpiece of the stories that they're telling and for a young actor he really does a great job of carrying that burden but he's the the character five is the character that's really kind of hard to to pinpoint everything that goes on because everything kind of runs through him and all the time travel stuff really runs through him and while everybody's off doing their own things he is the one that is kind of spearheading trying to figure out how to end the apocalypse he ends up with a version of himself an older version of himself 
at the commission headquarters that is now a desolate wasteland because uh, they changed the timeline and it's essentially no more. But he finds out that an older version of himself, he was the founder of the commission, which is this just one more of these mind fuck things where, you know, he's been fighting the commission all this time and here to find out that he created the commission. And while in every season and for the better part of this season, he's been trying to stop the apocalypse. His older self tells him to not stop the apocalypse. So in the final third of this season, we kind of see the five Hargreaves character uh, just not giving an F anymore. He borderlines becoming misanthropic. Maybe nihilistic is better better stated. It's not that he hates humanity. He's just uh, tired of trying. And maybe they need to just let the apocalypse happen and end it all. And of course, another one of the characters that I absolutely love this character is the Robert Sheen character, Klaus Hargreaves. Again, much like Diego, Klaus Hargreaves is probably one of the characters that is most unlike his comic book counterpart as far as powers and look goes. Really, there's nobody other than, I'd say, Luther and Five that even vaguely resembles their comic book counterpart. But uh, but Klaus and Diego most definitely are the two that, uh, whether it is look or personality-wise or powers-wise, is vastly different from their comic book counterpart. But I really love uh, Robert Sheehan's portrayal of Klaus in this series because he's so uh, he's so flamboyant and he's so funny and he's so at least in this season just a very good-hearted guy he just wants everyone to get along he just wants everyone to get along with their father uh, Reginald Hargreaves who is still alive in this altered timeline and we get a lot of really good scenes with him and Reginald Hargreaves there's this one scene where uh, they go out to this country road and Reginald is going to try and get Klaus to really harness and experiment with his powers and they they do this whole montage of Klaus being hit and killed over and over again by various vehicles passing by ultimately to prove that he not only can speak with the dead but he can come back from the dead and it takes long less and less time each time he is killed but eventually he can you know come back from dying almost instantaneously by the time it's all done but they do this montage where klaus keeps getting run over by vehicles and they set it to the ugly kid joe version of cats in the cradle by harry nielsen and it's just uh one i love that cover by ugly kid joe uh you know i love the the metal from the 80s and early 90s but uh but it just fit the whole scene and it was just such a a fun scene to watch he also had uh klaus and five had some really good scenes together where they're going to try and find klaus's mother who was apparently amish who would have thought but yeah these two characters aiden gallagher and robert sheehan five and and klaus hargreaves uh, those two actors and make these characters so likable and they just add an almost instantaneous bit of chemistry with whoever they're playing against uh really when you have either of these two playing against any of the other actors there's automatically some chemistry and i i really kind of have to chalk that up to uh, one the cast in general it's a good cast but but these two actors really work well 
with the other actors in this ensemble. Now, I'm not going to really get into the Sparrow Academy uh, characters. Like I said, uh, pretty much most of them die off, except for Sloane, which is the love interest of Luther. And there is a new version of Ben. Ben Hargreaves, of course, was the original number six in our Umbrella Academy, who died when they were younger, when he was younger. We don't really know the situation that caused his death. I'm sure we're going to have that revealed to us eventually. Uh, we do get it re referenced as the Jennifer incident in this season. But this Sparrow Academy has their version of Ben, who until this, we'd only seen him as a ghost interacting with Klaus. But uh, we have Ben Hargreaves, uh, the horror played by Justin Min, who I really liked him in the the Ben number six ghost character in the past two seasons. Uh, so I was really excited to see him. You know, we finally get to see him in living flesh and blood. But in the Sparrow Academy, Ben's a bit of a douche and is very adversarial to the Umbrella Academy throughout the whole season. It's not until the end that he kind of loosens up. And I, I don't know whether they accept him but, you know, it's the adversarial relationship isn't quite there. But even though we didn't get to see him as the Ben we knew and loved, it was really good to see him as more of a main player in the, the plot of this series. And, and I think we'll get to see him as a main player moving forward because, you know, not only do we have the Sparrow Academy Ben, but we have maybe another iteration of Ben. We'll talk about that when we get to the end. But uh, one more actor I want to talk about, one more character I want to talk about is Calm Fjord, who plays Reginald Hargreaves. I, I love this actor. I remember really first being uh, introduced to him as Andre Lenoge in Stephen King's Storm of the Century. And he just played that character so well. So from then on, I've always looked for him showing up in various uh, TV series and movies. And I always... I always love his performance. No matter who he plays, he always gives us a great performance because he's a, he's a classically trained theater actor. And that really translates into him becoming these various characters, I think, and why he's such a, a pleasure to watch portray anybody. But he portrays Sir Reginald Hargreaves, the monocle in this, a multi-dimensional traveling alien posing as a human who raised these kids to be superheroes and the whole series kicks off with his death everyone shows up for his funeral and we've only got to see him in flashbacks until season two where we saw a younger version of him in 1963 and now we get to see him in present day in this alternate timeline version of Reginald Hargreaves he starts off being really subservient to the Sparrow Academy. The Umbrella Academy always acted like he was this dictator and tyrant and told everyone what to do and think and eat and drink and sleep, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas this, he is very subservient to the Sparrows. And we find out that they're keeping him drugged up. And it's not until Klaus gets him off the drugs that he starts building relationships with Klaus and trying to build relationships with the Umbrella Academy. And then we find out true his true machinations uh, are a little more dastardly. As this Kugelblitz keeps growing and destroying more 
things, erasing more things, animals, then people, then buildings. Everyone takes refuge in this hotel, the Hotel Obsidian, that the Umbrella Academy has been staying in. And they find there's an interdimensional portal that leads to kind of a mirror image of the Hotel Obsidian, which is called the Hotel Oblivion. And we get a flashback scene where Reginald Hargreaves uh, created this this hotel to house this dimensional portal. And he tells the Umbrella Academy and what's left of the Sparrow Academy that there is a universal reset inside of Hotel Oblivion. Now, this is totally different from the comics. In Hotel Oblivion, the comic series, the Hotel Oblivion, is essentially a hotel on another planet that is used as a prison for all of the world's uh, greatest supervillains. Anybody that poses a threat to the Umbrella Academy, Reginald Hargreaves sends them to Hotel Oblivion. And of course, in that series, there's a big jailbreak at Hotel Oblivion. And that's how that whole thing goes down. But they go to the Hotel Oblivion, narrowly escaping the apocalypse yet again. Reginald is in cahoots with Allison. Uh, so they have the rest of the, the group stand on these six points on the floor and it activates this interdimensional alien machine. And you can see this machine is sucking these particles that gave the Umbrella Academy and the Sparrow Academy their powers. The particles that Reginald Hargreave let loose uh, when his wife died in Season 1. You see this machine is sucking all of these out of the Umbrellas and the Sparrows. Allison sees that Reginald is killing them essentially to power this machine with these particles. And she ends up lopping off part of his head. And you see this kind of weird alien, cyborg-y kind of brain leaking out. And Reginald dies in this alternate timeline. But she hits the reset button anyway. At which time we see the Umbrellas, Sans Allison, all come out of this elevator doorway. None of them have their powers uh, Luther is back to having a regular human body. Sloan is no longer there. And everyone kind of goes their separate ways. We find Allison, who everyone else seems to be like cleaned up. Uh, Diego loses a couple fingers. He's got them back. Five gets his arm lopped off. He's got his arm back. But when we find Allison at her old home, she still has a bandage on her arm from the battle they just had gone through. So unlike everyone else, she is not unscathed. Uh, but she goes into her house and finds her daughter there, which was her primary focus through this whole season. But she also finds her husband from 1963, Ray, there. So I don't know if she's in the exact same timeline as the other Umbrellas are, but I'm sure we'll find out in season four. And we do find that uh, this is a very much a different world than the one they were in. This is a world where they pan out to the skyline of the city and all of the tallest skyscrapers have Hargreaves name on them until we kind of pan in and pan up on the biggest skyscraper that we see Reginald Hargreaves with his once dead wife, Abigail, both alive and very well. Then there's a bit of a mid-credit scene where we're on this subway that we started the season out with where we saw uh, Ben's mother being 
essentially impregnated with these particles that uh, Reginald Hargreave let loose. We see a version of Ben on this subway reading a book, but it's not the Sparrow Academy Ben that we had just left. This is maybe this timeline's version of Ben. So a, a third Ben is in the mix now. Now, is this going to create another paradox? Is Reginald Hargreave going to be the big bad in this? Uh, really, kind of the options are all open because they are no longer going along with the comics. Not that they really went along with the comics strictly in the first two seasons, but uh, both of those seasons, season one maybe more than season two, followed the stories essentially the same way. But in season three, like I said, a hotel, it was Hotel Oblivion in name only. It had nothing to do with the Hotel Oblivion comic. Uh, we don't know how much it had to do with the Sparrow Academy comic because that's not out yet. And a fourth season is going to go into territory that no comic has even been talked about yet. Unless there are some aspects of the Sparrow Academy comic that we don't know about that this may kind of lean into. But I'm, but I'm guessing some of what we saw in Season 3 leaned a little more into the Sparrow Academy comic. Uh, I'm only guessing, like I said, because the comic book is not out yet. And we really don't know what to expect from that. Now, ultimately, like I said, I, I really didn't care about this season, the first two-thirds of it. Because, yeah, it just was a mishmash of different characters that had no real agency in the plot. Like I said, the Luther, the Diego characters, they had storylines, but none of them really had anything to do with the main plot. You had the Victor Hargreaves character that was kind of really pushed to the forefront. But it, it really feels like they're, they're doing things for this character to reflect... Elliot Page's personal life with no regard to how the character is in the comics. And this is their story to tell. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other, but it just seems like this character has become more about Elliot Page's personal life than the character in the comic books. And that was very noticeable in the first two-thirds of this season. The Klaus character even really kind of suffered in this. If it wasn't for the scenes that Klaus had with Reginald Hargreaves and Five, uh, this character really didn't have a lot to do this season. They spent a lot of time focusing on these Sparrow Academy characters and not even not even the Sloan character who actually survived, well, at least until the, the very, very end. But uh, they, they focused a lot on these characters that most of them died unceremonious deaths and really, again, had no bearing on the story. They focused on a Ben character, the Sparrow Academy version of Ben that was just not likable at all. Uh, that's no reflection on Justin Min as an actor. He did a fantastic job. It's just the way this character was written. It was just not likable. We did get some really interesting scenes with Reginald Hargreaves that we haven't really had uh, other than through flashback in, in season one and younger version of him in season two. So that was interesting to see him get to interact more with the Umbrella Academy characters. But ultimately, it just felt like a recycled storyline because season one, they're battling to defeat the apocalypse or escape the apocalypse. Season two, another apocalypse. They're trying to stop the apocalypse or escape the apocalypse. Season three, what do we have again? Another apocalypse and they have to defeat the apocalypse or escape the apocalypse. It's just the same shit over and over again. And I hope in season four that they do something besides battle another goddamn apocalypse. It, and that's one of the problems I have with 
this series as a whole compared to the comics is that the comics are full of interesting supervillains. Now, they may come across as a little, uh, you know, super suity and mustache twirling, but... You know, it's a comic book. It's supposed to be fun. This seems, this series seems to take itself a little too serious in the wrong instances and tries to stay too grounded in reality and not really embrace the ridiculousness of this whole premise and this whole comic series. I mean, the Umbrella Academy comic series really is kind of a, a knockoff on Doom Patrol at its essence. I mean, Doom Patrol is this group of misfits that have superpowers and they live together in a house and they're like a family, but they don't get along until they absolutely have to defeat uh, the big bad guy. And then they work together. And then next season, uh, they're, you know, whether you're talking about the comics or the TV series on HBO Max, uh, you know, next season we find them all over again, not getting along, dysfunctional until they have to. It, it, it's very much like that. And also a father figure that is not very trustworthy. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much doom patrol just uh, a different way they got superpowers but at least with doom patrol doom patrol is very much a ridiculous series much like umbrella academy they have ridiculous things go on uh, outlandish things go on uh, very sometimes borderline offensive things going on but they embrace it a little more on Doom Patrol, where you have these big, larger-than-knife, ridiculous supervillains, uh, somebody in a giant robot working it with controls, you know, stuff like that. They embrace the ridiculousness of it being a series based on a comic series, whereas Umbrella Academy does lean into some of the ridiculous things that happen in the comics. Uh, they just don't embrace the villains that the comic books really had that you know would make this a lot more fun it would make it different season to season if you had a different supervillain instead of a new apocalypse for them to fight maybe they'll change things up in season four i don't know but uh, this season was okay uh, it wasn't my favorite season by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said, it was probably the last third of the season really kind of salvaged it for me and went from me really not liking the season to me thinking eh, it was okay. It wasn't so bad that I'm like, I'm not watching next season. They couldn't pay me to do that. I'll watch next season. But, you know, they better bring it in season four. And I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing that they don't have any source material to go on for season four. They didn't go with any source material for season three. And you see, we've got like one of the worst seasons, I think, so far. Season four, they, there's no comic book to base it off of. So are they going to be left to their own devices and screw the pooch? Who knows? Uh, we could see something amazing. We could see something that'll make me stop watching this series. It's really kind of hard to tell. But I will say... At some point, probably halfway through season three, I was rooting for the apocalypse, which is a shame because, like I said, uh, I really do like this cast. Uh, you know, the, the cast is pretty strong. Uh, I, I just really enjoy the cast, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think the storytelling sometimes hinders what I think this cast can really do. 
And as far as streaming series go, I mean, this has decent special effects and visual effects. Uh, the CG can be a little, a little iffy from time to time, but you know, it is a streaming series and not a big budget motion picture. So, you know, you kind of have to make some concessions when it comes to the CG because it can't always be perfect. And it would be nice if it was, but like I said, you know, there are budgets for these things and they have to go with, you know, what makes sense uh, money-wise. And sometimes CG, you know, you can't have the top-of-the-line CG. But I thought the CG and the special effects and the visual effects were all pretty solid. Not enough to take me out of any of the scenes. So I, that wasn't a problem with me. I know I've heard some people bitching about the CG, but... Yeah, whatever. You know, you need to get a hobby or get laid or something if the CG on this series really bothers you. But all in all, I was really expecting a great season with the way uh, things ended on season two. I was really hoping for something cool with the Sparrow Academy. Uh, that never really happened. This storyline could have been interesting, but yet again, we had another apocalypse for our team to to battle and they don't even really do that and it just felt like a lot of characters didn't have anything to do in this story it really only focused on a couple characters so we'll have to wait and see what happens in season four but this is definitely a series that they need to have a finite shelf life for this they have to say we're doing this series in x number of seasons we're going to tell these stories and then we're going to end it because this is a season that I could really see go off the rails. It's already bordering on becoming monotonous. So there's a, there's a real danger of this series going off the rails and a lot of people losing interest in it. I know there's a lot of diehard fans and, and I consider myself one of them until this season. Now I'm like, eh, uh, I hope they really pick up the pace in season four. So there you have it. That's my look at... The Umbrella Academy Season 4, Hotel Oblivion. Hopefully you enjoyed it more than I did. If you did, God bless you. More power to you. Hopefully you didn't dislike it more than I did because that would have been a real sad affair for you to have to sit through if you really just absolutely hated this series, this season. But check out more what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. Uh, we're always posting trailers and articles from all over the internet, sharing them on that page uh, to keep you updated on horror, fantasy, and sci-fi that's going down in in our little world and no matter where you're listening to this podcast please uh like it subscribe to it share it download it all that good stuff leave a review five stars would be awesome but no matter what review you leave us we do appreciate the feedback so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>